Hello and welcome to The Intersection of Things, a podcast about technology and how it's changing our lives from an intersectional feminist perspective. I am one half of the pod, Marianella. And I'm the other half, Ruth. Hi Ruth, how are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to recording this one. Yeah, in this very spooky month, what are we talking about? We're gonna do urban legends of the internet. What? What is that? Like, what? What? Urban legends of the internet. So basically things we have heard of, little campfire stories, a virtual campfire, I guess, um, of like things that we've heard of, seen, listened about on the internet that turn out to be true or or not not true well yes and in part we talked about the things that we've believed that turned out to not be true because back in back in our curiosity episode i think it was and i talked about how i keep a list of things that i've fallen for Mm -hmm. and we were talking about that one time and kind of digging out some of the things from that some of the other things we've believed and Having having a little relook at some of this stuff, why why do we believe it, and what's kind of interesting about it, and um, what we've learnt, and yeah, just kind of kind of enjoying sharing some stories. Yeah, and what better month to do urban legend style of of uh, of a show than October? I mean, I hope I hope everybody's having a really good October, adjusted for circumstances. Um, but yeah, let's. I'm really excited about this, so let's let's start. What is the first um okay the first urban legend of the internet if we're gonna call it that the myths of the internet i don't know if you fell for this but remember a few years ago i guess that there was a trend about the ugly food movement basically all of these uh supermarkets grocery stores kind of selling you the quote-unquote ugly apples for example and there was this whole story around how how many millions of pounds of food were thrown away just because they were ugly like an apple that wasn't quite round or like carrots that were not super bright orange or whatever and you would see places like whole foods at least here in north america kind of be like ugly food um we like reduce waste and buy them and it's it's good for you and so and i remember kind of learning about that and being like oh crap like i didn't know that I mean, of course, I knew not every um, apple was beautiful and red, but I didn't know the extent of, I don't know, the extent of or the ugliness of apples that get thrown away. So, you know, I, I heard about it. I saw it. Didn't quite question it. And then what happened? Well, it turns out that I, I did uh, stumble upon, like, a Tumblr post, and then I brought it up to you. And I was like, Ruth, did you know that this ugly food movement is not quite what it seems? Yeah. It seems like there are levels of complication to it. And mm. I think we both have, have checked out, there's a, a crop scientist called Sarah Tabor, him, mm-hmm. and also like credit to her, also has a podcast if you want to check it out, called Farm to Tabor, which is a pretty good name. I appreciate a name-based pun. And she's been talking about how a lot of that is an exaggeration about what happens in a process. And in particular, this idea that farmers would be throwing out vast amounts of their crop when in fact ugly food is used in other ways that's kind of the key counterfact that Mm -hmm. it's what goes into juice and sauces and soups and anything else where the food is crushed and pulped and 
all sorts of things. That it isn't that, oh, if that apple is ugly, the apple is immediately thrown in a bin. Oh, it's made into apple juice. Like, yeah. what, what, what did we all think? And that there is a lot of money and investment going into this ugly food business that is in part just about marketing. Mm-hmm. It's, again, a little bit more complicated because food waste is still real, but yeah. Yeah, well, and there were a few points that I remember from that. It was like, number one, certain shapes, for example, of fruit would not be packed because the packaging would not fit well. So they're more prone to bruise and then rot the rest of the fruits they were packed. So they were set aside and again, obviously turn into soups or something else. Um, The other thing, the other argument was like a lot of these ugly food movements were talked about in the context of like more affluent grocery shops and they said like people already eat ugly foods and when if you go to like places where um quote-unquote poor people live you can see that the 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 food looks different a little bit um and that's there's a reason for that so there's people who have forever already been eating quote-unquote ugly food it's just that the your standard middle class families don't get to see that so yeah and the other thing is like of course there's still there is still a a lot of waste you know if you talk to people who work in workhouses and they will tell you that sometimes things just have to be thrown away because you know people will complain about it but yeah the i think the bottom line as you just mentioned was like food is a business so every little bit of thing has to be used and monetized or made you know turned into profit and if that means turning the ugly apple into the apple pie that you would buy at a high-end place then that's that so yeah but i definitely did fall for the belief back in the day that you know short carrots were not you know yeah pretty enough to be sold at the moment i'm still getting tons of instagram adverts for you know get a box of ugly food delivered straight to your door um which is interesting but i mean this is the thing where so many of these stories do have some point that is true in it because definitely it is true that food is wasted but one of the massive places where food is wasted is at the supermarket when it's thrown out at the end of the day because people don't buy it that Mm -hmm. causes tons of food waste but that's nothing to do with whether the food looks pretty or not it's just i mean it's it's about logistics and supply and demand and how we have like tons of surplus food coming in and yeah, I, I think I told you before about this time that I went to visit a place called Foodworks in Sheffield who manage and distribute surplus food from a supermarket and they fill a warehouse with it every single day that they take from like the end of last day and mm-hmm. then within 24 hours they distribute it back out and they use it in restaurants and cafes and free school meals and then they at the sort of last part of the day they have a market in the warehouse and people can come and fill a bag up and then pay minimum a pound and then take all the produce and they run that as a social enterprise but I, I like really really remember talking to him and how much he said they should really be paying us for this rather than seeing it like they're giving us charity for giving us this food because we're solving their problem it's not a waste problem it's not about food waste it's a logistics problem and he was saying he doesn't like talking about it in terms of distributing kind of waste food or leftover food no this is just like managing some logistics that the supermarkets haven't figured out so food waste is a logistics problem (laughs) that's your takeaway for this episode listeners no it's very interesting i think it's yeah supply chains 
um, especially uh, after seeing the disruptions that this pandemic have had, are fascinating. Um, and yeah, shout out to anyone who works or knows a lot about supply chains. And uh, yeah, talk to us if you want to talk to us <laughs> about all of this, because this is Yeah, we could do an episode on food. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Hmm. Stay tuned, listeners. Let's move on. What other thing have you believed? What's Okay, this one, I know it's been debunked a bunch, but I genuinely did believe it in the start, which is the he started it in a garage myth. And when I was looking into this, I couldn't believe how many different tech companies started with this. So, apparently, Amazon and Dell and Google and Apple and Microsoft at different points all claim uh-huh. that their founders began in a garage slash shed, which I find really fascinating that there's this one object myth concept that everyone wants to be like, we're just two guys chilling in a garage and we came up with a great idea. Why does it all have to yeah. be in a garage? Why couldn't you have been in a park? But sure. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I mean, I do remember seeing the whole thing about like Elon Musk kind of like sleeping under his desk uh, when he was, I don't know, working, founding PayPal or something like that. And this whole thing about, I don't know, there were things that initially didn't check out, but still I'm like, I don't know, maybe times were different before. Um, things like, oh yeah, he went to California to study a PhD, but then halfway through, um, he just, the typical like bored genius, like I uh, just, he just couldn't deal with school and had to start his own thing. I mean, part of it is like, he was not American, so it's really weird to go on a student visa somewhere and then just stop and start a company, but okay. Um, halfway through without having your PhD completed, you know, it's, it is very strange. But yeah, so it's, you, you flag this myth as like, it's strange that it is so persistent or consistent across, what did you say? Amazon, Apple, Dell, Disney, Google, Microsoft, Microsoft. and let's add PayPal, Tesla uh, to that. Yeah, I forgot them, um, I forgot them from my list. Yeah, so what is the, what is the, the truth? What's the truth? I mean, they're all slightly different stories. I mean, the the Amazon Jeff Bezos one, he likes to miss out the fact that his parents gave him 250000 to help start that business. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Bill Gates one I found really interesting was that his mum was working at IBM, or I think, sorry, I maybe have that slightly wrong, had a contact at IBM, but convinced them to hire Microsoft when it was just like a fledgling company to build um, an operating system for them. So this is parental (laughs) contacts at the top level. Oh, I just got my mum to make some calls. Great, 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 great. Uh, Um, What about Google? The Google one I find really interesting because it's the other part of the starting story. So there's the story that you started things on your own and then there's Mm -hmm. the, and your parents helped you. You gave you a loan or called you up. But I actually think the Google one is really interesting because that one's about government funding mm-hmm. and that's this whole other story of silicon valley that hardly ever gets told you hear those first two the self-made person or like the family wealth but actually a lot of the stuff that comes from silicon valley came from funding for universities um, and funding that basically trace traces back to the nsa and cia for a lot of these huh. kind of companies that ended up producing surveillance technology like, so much technology comes from military funding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the 
concept for Google Search actually came from a research grant, which was funded from this thing called the National Science Foundation. But then through that, you can trace that money back towards the NSA and CIA. And I'll put footnotes in this because I know it sounds a little crazy, but there is a lot of research on this piece. And yeah, they didn't found the company, but they founded the research on the search function. And then they left partway through. Um, they, I think they were doing PhD and then they were just like, oh, we've got enough more stuff for a company. But the work that they did was definitely coming from government funding and from the universe, like via the university. And I think that's another thing, like a lot of this stuff therefore comes from public funding. Like, it hmm. goes into becoming a private company, but the work was done via government support. So really, you know, that's the other thing. People forget that research grants lead to great stuff. Yeah, and Google was funded by the people then. Yeah, exactly. And ironically, none of that profit gets, or, or very little, if any, of that profit gets shared back. That's Yeah, that's fascinating. I think you did mention before about how like all of this has the effect of creating this culture of this myth of like the genius creator that like works so hard like we've heard this a lot about if you work hard enough you will you know you're you're only a lot of hard work away from being a billionaire which is kind of i mean at first you can just think it's just a funny fallacy but i think it's quite heartbreaking to be repeatedly <laughs> telling people that if only they worked hard enough, they would make it because I think by, it follows that if you're poor, if you're lacking things, basic services, it's because you're not working hard enough or or you're dumb. You're not a genius like Elon Musk, who, by the way, also had his family money. Wasn't his family also or has shares in like mining, like some weird kind of shady mining companies em in South Emerald Africa? Emerald mines in South Africa, I think. Yeah. And I his mean, mom was a supermodel. I think Elon Musk is shady as fuck. Yeah, so don't sue us. But yes, yeah. it's... <laughs> I hear. I hear. But yeah, no, I, I think it's fascinating. It's like this whole crafting of, and it's have all, always been men. I mean, most of them been like the the myth. I think the what was the name of the Thanos? No, Thanos is the <laughs> the Marvel guy. Um, Th Thanos. 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 Right. Like yeah, that was like probably one of the first tech women that had a very Steve Jobby alert turned out to be a scam. Like we're just waiting for the documentaries on the other people's scams that we just mentioned and see how much of that was actually just a myth that they constructed around them. Also about Elon Musk, uh, turns out I just learned fairly recently that he, like, he, he bought the title of founder for Tesla, like he did not start the company. What? Apparently, yeah. It's a typical story of like, I see a company that I like, I want to be part of it, I buy it, now I am the CEO, and I don't know, you, maybe he changed the name or something, but like the technology, the engineers that were starting to assemble the whole like batteries for cars and stuff like that, it was already going on, and then he just jumped in, and we have to snopes and verify this, but yeah, he, part of the, the conditions that were in the buyout uh, was that he would acquire the title of founder. Um, so, so, yeah. But, what? Oh my yeah. gosh. Which I, is weird I, also, because like Tesla, of, of all the scientists, engineers that you could have picked to name your company, you picked the one that was fucked over by Henry Ford, wasn't he? Uh, Tesla. 
I don't think I was Ford. Crap. Oh, uh, Edison. It was Edison. Edison. Yeah, I was like, no, no, no. It's a yeah another capitalist time period. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking capitalism, mass production. One made light bulbs and a bunch of other things. The other one made cars. Anyways, so yeah, the American dream. Yeah, I mean, I always think, and I, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but. My kind of counter to all of that stuff is that it's also just not about individuals. Elon Musk and SpaceX, he's not getting there by drawing some spaceship designs. He's just hiring a bunch of brilliant, smart people. That's Mm -hmm. how all of that stuff happens. All of those companies, they're not, with, with or without that funding and support, it still isn't on those people. Even if they had good ideas, it took teams, it took loads of people to make all of those things happen. So when people are like, well, it all started in a garage, it's like, mm, did it? Like, at what point does something really start yeah. when when you have other people there? I don't know. I just think that it's a shame how few of those stories end up with anything more than two people in it. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, like everything, like every story has many beginnings. And it's like, whoever Elon Musk hired to build and design and develop new technology for his cars, for example... Where did they study? Like, were they government-funded universities? Like, like you said, all the research that goes on, even if it's through the military, the military is also people-funded. <laughs> Shocking. Um, so it's it's interesting how, yeah, at what point does the genius myth come in to kind of cut or cut away the ties to to the social, right, and just appropriate the the legacy and the credit for for what they're selling? So. Cool. All right. Shall we move on? Yeah. Next story. So it's pandemic times still. Second wave. Ah. Um, but one of the things that we saw at the beginning with all the uh, lockdowns across the world was, drumroll, the nature is healing myth. So what's up with that? So, gosh, it feels like so long ago now, which scares me a little bit. But right when we first went into full lockdown... There were lots of different pictures um, from all over the world about how animals were returning for the places that humans had taken over and that there were all these beautiful things. There were elephants getting drunk on wine and there were dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice and goats in Clandidno. And, oh, look at all these animals being beautiful and making us feel happy. Hashtag we are the virus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted it to be true. That's that's I mean, definitely a fact. Some of them were very obviously like weird. Like there's a shark in in Venus. Venus or <laughs> Venus has people. <laughs> Venice. That's a different um, conspiracy. <laughs> I would I would love for there to be sharks in Venus. <laughs> there are always sharks. Things. In floods and stuff, though, every every time there's a natural disaster, there's always someone posting that same picture that's like a shark swimming by a car, and they're like, this happened yesterday. The picture's been going around the internet for seven years. Yeah, and the dolphins now, uh, where the new ones... Um, so, which ones were true? Which ones... Cause some of them... A lot of them were not. Some of them were, but they had only, like, a slice of truth. Like, there was, like, people would just be like, sheep are taking over this town, and people were like... We always have sheep. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if you've seen it here in Vancouver, but sometimes uh, geese 
take over like a street, not entirely. I mean, kind of block it. Um, and geese are protected animals, so there's nothing you can do. They decide to just sit in the middle of the street. Cars have to stop. And I'm really imagining geese with like little placards having a roadblock, though. Kind of. They their protest usually involves poop. But, um, <laughs> but direct action, you know, they're hardcore like that. But yeah, I mean, if someone had taken a picture of that and said, like, we are the wires, I'm like, no, they're always blocking Main Street. It's a park nearby. They just like to cross <laughs> the street and take their time. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, the elephants one, when I looked into that, was the debunking was so confusing. It was like, yes, in this area, we actually normally get elephants. So that isn't weird. But this isn't a picture of our local elephants. This is totally different elephants. And also, that never happened. And you're like, but what? So you just took a story about elephants in a place where there are elephants, but then different picture and a made-up story. And (laughs) yeah, the dolphins picture was from somewhere totally different, although there were swans in the canals of Venice. But I don't feel like people would be as excited about swans. They're like, oh, swans. But there were definitely... Definitely goats in the streets of Tlandidno, so they really did come down the mountains. But they might have done that any other week. I don't know. Right. Interesting. It, I mean, it was, I think, the desperate need to have at least a good story in the middle of all of this shitty stuff. Um, but I think just because we need new st- or good stories doesn't mean we have to make up fakes. There's enough good to go around, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. I mean, not sadly. Sadly, we have. Sadly that sad that people have to make up lies but yeah i saw these also on instagram um which is clearly like the source of many stories that i fall for and i follow this uh instagram handle called the happy broadcast and several times including this thing about the animal stories i've seen them postings and then people in the comments have gone it's not actually quite like that you know that's just a proposed law it's not a past law or you know, some kind of... Actually, that's only happening in one village. It's not in the whole of Norway. A lot of them are Scandinavian stories. Like, for example, this account specializes in... Sharing happy happy stories? Happy stories. And they put a little graphic, so every single one is designed in the same style with, like, an illustration to go with it. And they say they want to give people happy news on their feed, which is why I started following it. Because I, too, like to have some happy news in this bleak world we live in. And... Then over time, I've noticed that happening a lot. And sometimes I see them reply, and their reply is genuinely just like, well, you know, I think there's still a lot to be happy about in this situation. Like, I'm just like, mm. they, they'll, they'll be like, well, as long as this part's true, as long as I'm still making people happy. And I, I do wonder whether that is the case or whether they just want people to keep following. And... I know that I continue to follow it, but in part because I find that interesting. I'm almost following for enjoying reading the stories and then reading the conversation about the stories, because often people in the comments will say, well, it's interesting that you talk about this tree replanting endeavor. Well, you're wrong that it's this many trees, but what's interesting is that this town started it here. And then people will add extra facts. So I've ended up following it for this kind of like interesting conversation, but I haven't unfollowed them despite the fact that I don't think they do their fact checking. You're very tolerant. So what's another uh, what's another urban legend 
myth that the internet has or it has had a part in propagating that you've fallen for. Yeah, I think this one's slightly the other way around, where the internet debunked something that had seemed Ooh. totally normal and acceptable. So tell me, what is this one thing that the internet debunked? Because that's another thing. The internet is also really good to be like, did you know this thing that you thought is not true? Which then conspiracy theories, blah, blah, blah. But there are some things that are actually properly debunked. For example. Stockholm Syndrome. Uh huh. Meaning the thing that people learned, as in like the typical story is that someone gets kidnapped but then develops some sort of affinity for the kidnappers or um, yeah. or the uh, someone's a hostage in some sort of situation. I think in in the nineties, eighties, or whatever, there were like bank robbers, and that was always a thing. Like bank robbers take over a bank, but then you know the host, the hosts. Hostages are like not falling in love with the lo- with the robbers, but developing this sort of like affinity for them. Yeah. So I'm gonna t- now I am gonna tell you the story because this one is so interesting. So Stockholm syndrome comes from a real bank robbery way back in 1973. A guy called Jan Erik Olsen took four employees of the bank hostage and held them for over several days, and During that time, he actually treated them relatively well as a kidnapper can treat a hostage, kind Mm -hmm. of gave them warmer clothes, etc. Did not kill them. Did not kill them. (laughs) Or torture them. But the police, who were managing the whole situation, basically put their lives at risk. This is what the woman said afterwards, and that they were not treated... So yeah, there were several people involved, um, and I think there were two women... And one of them had a phone call with the Swedish Prime Minister during the situation, who told them that they should be prepared to die. That they weren't gonna they weren't gonna try and rescue them. And there were several situations that happened during this where they felt like the police were the ones putting their lives in danger and were behaving really recklessly. And afterwards, after they were released and everything kind of, you know, the pieces fell down. They, they spoke up about this, and they said the police behaved really recklessly and put their lives at risk. And that was seen, one, this is really interesting with everything that we talk about around, like, all cops are bastards, that mm-hmm. that was seen as them being irrational and insane to think that the police were the bad actors, not the, uh, the kidnapper. So then, Kristen Enmark, who was one of the people held hostage, she was diagnosed by the psychiatrist employed by the police, a guy called Niles Berjard, So this guy, who was employed by the police, used this term to discredit her for criticizing the police and also for criticizing him because he was involved in the negotiations. So this concept of Stockholm Syndrome being a thing that women feel, um, and always, it's almost always women when it's talked about, which is again, interesting. People who are falling in love or like feeling fond of the people who are putting them in a dangerous situation was applied to her to pathologize Mm -hmm. her critique of the police and of this psychiatrist themselves so it wasn't some kind of neutral third party person who came up with this yeah it was literally used to say how dare you critique me you're clearly mad wow so So there was no like control study, randomized control trial sort of stuff to like arrive at this phenomenon of... It was just one case, one psychiatrist working with the police 
uh, and it's a mix of obviously power but also misogyny because you know then the the thing that we also I mean that's fucked up the other thing that we also sometimes forget is that when a society is primed for something for believing something it will most likely go unquestioned um, obviously primed to believe authority but also primed to believe that women are crazy <laughs> so um, so you know yeah. like the the pieces fell in the worst way possible and then this term was coined I came across this from a sort of viral debunking that was sharing the work a woman called Jess Hill had done in a book she's written called See What You Made Me Do. So credit mm -hmm. to the core of the research goes to her. But I do also think that it's really interesting that when I wanted to double check and fact check this uh, and I looked into these these interviews and everything else, it actually wasn't that hard to find, you know, this Bank robbery happened in 1973, they were interviewed, there were lots of cases, like lots of people wrote about it. So it wasn't actually that hard to find the things that the people said. I mean, you can find all of this stuff on the Wikipedia page and it links back to news sources. So I just found that really interesting that it took until now for someone to write a book and then it be shared and talked about. People go, oh, wait a second. Wait, this is actually kind of bullshit. But we should have known it was bullshit from the beginning. But the women mm -hmm. weren't listened to then. Whoa. Um, also, Side note, when I was talking yep. about all the psychology experiments of bullshit, the Stanford prison experiment, that everything is referenced, that, that was just so, so thoroughly debunked. I can put something in the footnotes, but they've never managed to recreate that experiment. And this whole idea that you put prisoners and guards together and bad behavior and torture is inevitable. Not true. Not true. Right. Not true. I think it's same with the other one. Um, is it the same study? It's a different study. The one that gave people shocks, like the you Milgram have to experiment. tell people that one. I think this one, that one has also been like misrepresented, right? Like, yes, there is some something about like authority letting you do things. But I think the misrepresentation, like if an authority is telling you to inflict pain on someone else, you're most likely, more likely to inflict it or inflict a higher uh, degree or amount of pain on someone else if authority is telling you that it's okay or asking you to do it. I think the misrepresentation comes from the amount of times people objected, resisted, and questioned that interaction where authority is like, no, it's fine. And the person is like, no, this person is clearly in pain. I should stop giving them shocks. And I think the follow-up of like, I think some of them felt really bad after, like there was some psychological damage and like, oh, you almost killed someone in this study. Um, anyways, so even though yeah. the shocks were fake. I mean, the bright side, the only bright side to those stories is that they led to people establishing ethics and psychology experiments. And they're like, um, you know what? You can't actually just have people torture each other for fun, for your, for your science, that you just kind of built a mock prison in your university and then just did all this terrible stuff. No, no, that's actually no longer okay. People have to consent to things. Yeah. Consent. So yeah, so the internet has also been good for contesting myths that came before the internet. Generally, these um, urban legends, myths... Oh, another Oh, another urban legend from the internet. Do you... Okay, side note, we don't have this plan, but like, do you remember the first... Like, I'm talking like... AOL Hotmail days or whatever early days that those were my early you know those things are associated in my head as like early internet for me do you remember like the first kind of like weird internet myth that you saw 
I do remember for me, there was like an email chain going around about someone either picking up women like at bars or something and then super charming guy and then people wake up in a bathtub full of ice with like two scars in the back and or like their organs had been removed or something and uh, so like if this happens call 911 I'm like no shit um, <laughs> <laughs> but like it was a thing that was shared a lot and again this was before Facebook or platforms when people could um, comment so you would just receive this email uh, by like concerned friends or whatever you know like the like it might not be true but might as well I don't want to pass it on or you know so of course that was uh, a few years later after that it was widely debunked number one because people were like it's weird that someone like if it's gonna if someone's gonna do that to take the time to bring the eyes into the tub you know how much ice is needed number two you would probably just be dead because it's just not and then you know so it was debunked at a a bunch of different levels but it was a thing that was i remember a story that was told uh part is warning part is like spooky time but yeah do you do you have anything similar i can't remember a whole story i remember when i had a hotmail account that people sent some kind of message around an email being haunted and you had to forward it on to 10 people or you would be cursed right <laughs> Yeah, we don't seem do to have remember. haunted email anymore. No, but we have haunted Tumblr. Um, Instagram doesn't promote resharing. Twitter, I've seen it. The retweet oh, I see this the or... other thing on Tumblr. The, uh, you know, if you reblog this image, you will have good luck. If you reblog this picture, you will get loads of money. Yeah. And then people reply and they're like, it really happened to me. It's totally true. Yeah, you see, there's like half a million notes. And I'm like, holy crap. But, eh, you know, there's always space for that wishful thinking and, and uh, the internet. Okay, so um, what else? Um, you did tell me that you have, it's not, again, not related so much for the internet, but like this whole thing about information being like the broken telephone sort of, right? That sometimes a lot of these urban legends have a little bit of truth. Like what, were you, what we were saying at the beginning with the ugly food stuff. It starts with like a kernel of truth and then explodes into something that's not. Or it's made to explode into something that's not just yeah. like in the ugly foods so you have phrases yeah tell me about this my this is my thing of like random facts that i like to tell people kind of kind of a hobby of collecting these these phrases uh these proverbs i love that there are these phrases in the english language that mean now the opposite of what they originally meant okay for example so i'm just going to give my favorite which is blood is thicker than water mm -hmm. so most people think that blood is thicker than water means that family is the most important thing but the original of that phrase is blood of the covenant is thicker than water of the womb what? and yeah blood of the covenant means an agreement like a blood agreement blood bonding between friends and then water of the womb means the water of your family and so it actually means the friendship is better than family it's the opposite meaning wow wow um, I'll be fascinated to find out where, at some point, where did that change? Because it's the absolute opposite. I love it. The other one that is one I like because it's kind of dangerous how it's got shortened and changed, which mm -hmm. is people who say, starve a cold, feed a fever, mm -hmm. which 
technically, if you say it exactly right, is still the original meaning. If. But it's people say that like that's a set of instructions. You should starve a cold, you should feed a fever. But it's not. It's if you starve a cold, you will feed a fever. So it means eat lots of stuff when you have a cold or it will get worse. <laughs> Which is the opposite meaning to just saying starve a cold, feed a fever. Like, those are two separate things. There needs to be a comma. It's a very important health-related comma. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, also very relevant pandemic-wise. Eat. Uh, What else? You tell me about jack-of-all-trades. Yeah, so that phrase, so jack-of-all-trades was a phrase long before anyone added master of none to it. Mm -hmm. It just, like, meant someone who did a lot of stuff. And it had no other connotations. It was just a phrase. And I've been trying to read into this because, to be honest, I wanted to really fact check this episode. And I have found conflicting arguments about this. So there is a a longer phrase. Jack of all trades is master of none, but better that than master of one. Oh. It's the longer phrase. But some people argue that that second half came after the first half, rather than, like with these others, that it was a, uh, a shortening that lost the original meaning. That some people say that that second half was added to counter the insult of Jack of all trades is master of none. Mm-hmm. So it's got a it's got a potentially more complicated history, but I like the the longer version of the phrase and essentially that being good at lots of things is not a bad thing. Yep. Shout out to everyone with a degree in communications. <laughs> um, uh, so sad. And I mean the last one. And the because contains cats. The last one is. Curiosity killed a cat. And actually, that one is... You can get the original one in a line in Shakespeare, but it was actually care killed the cat originally, which means worrying, not curiosity. Oh. And then later it became curiosity killed the cat, with the second half of the phrase being satisfaction brought it back. But, yeah, curiosity killed the cat is is a much later variant. We've basically fucked up that phrase yeah it was something like a cat has a cat has nine lives but but care kills them all hmm. meaning that like worry wor- worrying will be Aww. bad for you shout out to all cats especially during this halloween um oh that's that's really cool that's fantastic i d- i don't know why i just love that whole that whole thing that we we take these parables and we twist them but we still use them as though they are really old wisdom that we should be passing down. But just, we've we've twisted it over and over until it now literally means the opposite. It's like classic 2020s to like keep the allure of heritage, but then fuck it up until it serves our purposes. That's terrible. Dark but true. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to wanna talk about? Well, I think it will be good to answer this question that I know you posed to me before and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it as an interesting question because all of these things that we talked about are stuff that I believed at one point and then through like you telling me or reading other stuff on the internet you know I've changed my mind about but you said when you want to tell someone else that or when you want someone to tell you what's the what's the kind way to tell someone they're wrong about something yeah I think I always I think when we discussed I was like hmm, I want to ask myself how would I like to be told <laughs> I think it's it's easier, not easier, but a, a more. I, there's a little bit more fairness to to the question. I I mean the short story is like I don't know. I think that at at the core of it, I think is like if it's obviously if it's someone you know, 
Um, for example, if we're talking and then you tell me, hey, curiosity killed the cat. And I'm like, mm. it's, it's always like to tell people with kindness. And I mean, I always, this is my style, which is like bringing in the, the curiosity aspect of it. No, no pun intended because it had nothing to do with the cat. And just be like, actually, did you know? But not, I don't want to be the, well, actually kind of asshole, right? We've talked about urban legends, but I think a lot of this kind of goes around the fact that a lot of conspiracy is also involved and we wanted to keep this episode somewhat light um but like it's how do you yeah how do you tell people they're believing in something that's not true uh, i think the first thing is for me to assess how much of their identity is tied to that belief just to even see if the, the sharing of knowledge is worth it because uh, let's be honest i don't always have the emotional capacity to deal with that and then try to be kind about it but I also like to share what I've learned because a lot of these things I also believed and um, so yeah I just bring the curiosity in kind of share fun facts and talk about that and have the time people would just be like oh I didn't know but maybe that's just the people I hang out with yeah I don't know what do you think how would you like to be told <laughs> what what approaches do you use for other people yeah I think it's doing it with kindness and assuming that it's people don't know things because of ignorance or lack of knowledge and that's fine like we can't all know everything there's a vast amount of information in the world and i don't think we can ever be mad at people for not having absorbed it all so it's kind of being understanding and being kind about people not knowing something the first time um and kind of sharing information i appreciate i always appreciate it if people give me a source or not saying like this is the person you need to talk to but just saying like oh if you want to read more about it recommending an article a book or something that gives me time because i was thinking that like the other thing that's useful is just giving people time is saying like oh don't worry you don't have to like come around on this straight away but i really recommend you checking this thing out yeah and then it gives you time not to react instantly because i know that people get defensive when they're told they're wrong because instantly most people feel like it's an attack even yeah. if it's not or they're being read as stupid or yeah yeah yeah, process that and then realize, no, this is just about information and learning something. Yeah, and sometimes it's like you need to know when to stop. Um, for example, in, in this pandemic, you know, like if you find someone who's just like, well, masks are like, and I don't even engage um, if they're either against masks or putting like if, buts, and thens. One thing, we've been talking a lot about legends, a little bit of conspiracies, stuff like that, and... Uh, this reminds me a little bit about this book that we've probably mentioned before called The Merchants of Doubt, which basically tracks this story or the history uh, around marketing companies hired by the tobacco industry in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I think, uh, mostly in the US, who had the task to discredit everything that science was saying about cigarettes and smoking. So there was, for decades, the knowledge that tobacco was correlated with cancer um and it was pretty like how do they call that irrefutable evidence like randomized controlled trials all of that so there was very little that anyone could do short of saying like doctors are lying which now is a lot more sadly more accepted the distrust but back in the day it's like that was a losing approach so what this marketing companies did in order not to lose a bunch of money was not to discredit doctors, not to say that they were lying, but to plant doubt. And that's why the 
book is called The Merchants of Doubt. Because you didn't need to say the doctors are lying, blah, blah, blah. You would just need to say, um, they say 70% of people. But what about that 30%? I don't think they did trials the correct way. Um, also, these doctors smoke. So there's something, they're being paid by big pharma to tell us, blah, blah, blah. So instead of completely saying so-and-so is lying, the tactic was to make people it's like don't tell them what don't tell people what to think just plan the doubt about whether what they know from say doctors is true or not that's a case study in the tobacco industry we've seen it with climate change of like well it's a consensus but then people like yeah but like one percent and the one percent of scientists are the radical ones right like the ones that want to discover the truth about all of this and again it's like it's doubt the one that the the bit that facilitated facilitated this manipulation of information the rhetorical device of the whataboutism that's used to deflect and kind of take your conversation outside what you're trying to get at um does that does that make sense and i think the thing with whataboutism is it's often as you said a way of distracting people from a social issue by saying well what about this other issue why don't you care about that and the thing is that we're all quite capable of caring about multiple things and multiple things being true at once and that's that's the part of life that is quite complicated like it's true there's loads of food waste but also it doesn't mean that all food that's wasted is because it's ugly mm -hmm. like that there are multiple truths existing at the same time and sometimes they might seem like they're contradicting at first but they're not it's just that things are interesting and complicated yeah yeah they're part of the same thing awesome um anything else any shout outs you want to give for the research i mean we have to give a shout out to uh snopes and and a, and a secondary shout out to full fact for sponsoring this podcast and helping me do lots of research mm -hmm. what is snopes and snopes is a website that its purpose is to checks. yeah debunk things People sometimes submit like, hey, I saw this dolphin in Venice and Venus. Which one is true? And they're like, well, actually both. I mean, I can't believe how much time I can give up on Snopes. That's the thing that I never expected. Like, it's a fact-checking site. And I'm used to the British fact-checking site, Full Fact, which is... No, no offense to the people who work there. I'm sure you're doing a very important and hard job. But it is kind of boring. Like, it's very, like, these are the things. And Snopes is trying to make fact-checking fun. It's a very BuzzFeed approach. I can go down such a rabbit hole on there being like, what other things they fact-check this week? Yeah. I must admit that half the time, um, I I don't know about a lot of these conspiracies, and I'm just like, how do people think this is... But, you know. It's like, Hillary Clinton has five families. I'm like, what? How come it's like such a widely held belief that made it to Snopes? Who knows? Anyways, we're just rambling. Let's close this episode up. Um, it's been pretty fun. Uh, Ruth, is there anything in particular that you want to take with you from this episode? Oh, gosh. Um, I think this episode was fun. Can I take that? It was fun to do uh, some storytelling and kind of, yeah, reflect on some, some kind of weird, interesting things that we've learned on the internet. And honestly, I think it reminds me of the things that I that I like about the internet, even though a lot of these are stuff that are myths and things I've fallen for. 
What I like is that I could also use it to find the truth, mm -hmm. and that in a lot of these cases, the truth is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's what I really want to take away. That when you get into the story of like the well, actually, the well actually tends to be quite fascinating. Even if you take the random thing about the elephants, if you go, well, actually, it's quite common to spot elephants in this village. You're like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. You know, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm sorry if this sounds boring, but food logistics are really complicated and involve food being wasted at like all of these different points in the supply chain. And you have to think about how the food is carried in trucks and whether it's stored properly. So when it arrives at the supermarket, sometimes it has to be thrown out and look at the size of the packaging. Well, when you get into the details of it, it's really fun to learn stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed doing all of that. What about you? What are you taking away? I was taking away that this is fun. Um, I'm also thinking. Um, I think it's like one of those reminders of how simplicity hides a lot, and it's like it's so interesting. It's just so interesting to see the behind the scenes of how something came to be. Even like the phrases. I love the phrases that you uh, kind of debunked. The blood is thicker than water. Like it's just man, like everything around us has so much history and is the product of so much history and change and sometimes yes manipulation i don't know i just i just love seeing the insides of the mechanisms that we take for granted uh be them you know truths that sound truthy even the things that are not true can uncover a lot of interesting facts sometimes really terrible and sad but like the second you start looking into a conspiracy theory, the interesting part is not whether the thing is true or not, is what, what were the building blocks there that allowed people to believe this? Just to take the Stockholm Syndrome one, like what I mentioned, is like it was not only, you know, the stupid, you know, psychiatrist and police kind of framing this woman as, as a crazy person, but it was also a society that was primed because of misogyny to believe that. So I think for me, that is part of the whole story. And any other conspiracy theory or any other thing that's widely believed to be true and it isn't, I think that's the part of the little kernel of like gold. What else made this possible? And you know, it, it goes all the way to like when people start being like, blah, 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 lizard people. I'm like, the second you start looking into that, I was like, oh, this has its basis in anti-Semitism and stuff like, like it's just intense. Um, and even the most stupid thing, it's a byproduct of society. So there you go. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm taking. <laughs> that's what I'm taking from this episode. It's been pretty fun. Perfect for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you all listeners for uh, staying with us during this spooky times. If you want to find out more about this episode and footnotes and little things, Ruth, where can they go? Theintersectionofthings.com. Yeah. You can tweet at us at Things Intersect. Please tell us any other conspiracy no 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 don't tell us conspiracy theories tell us internet myths that you've fallen for particularly in the old days if you want to be found Ruth where can they find you I'm on Twitter at Nessient N-E-S-I-E-N-T cool and for me just tweet at you know things intersect you should tweet us at us leave a review you can we appreciate everyone who has oh yeah our music is by David Mark Hucklesby editing and everything else is by us yeah that's it well Happy Halloween. Yeah, stay safe, people, and happy spooky Halloween. Bye. Bye. <laughs>